Well, uh, I'm sure you're all aware, when you get excited for something, there's lots of hype, there's lots of anticipation. Um, When I get excited for something, I just set a countdown that lasts hundreds of days. I remember when Helen and I were engaged, she had a countdown on her phone that was like 300 plus days. I'm like, man, that is so far away. I can't believe you're just counting it down. She's not shaking her head. No, that didn't happen. Probably not 300, but it was... was pretty long. It was pretty long. Uh, but when you're excited about something, you just can't stop talking about it. You're just buzzing. You're rolling over in your bed. You're thinking about it heaps. It's kind of like you're a kid looking forward to Christmas morning, running down, seeing what's in store. Because I remember when I was in year 10, I signed up to go on a trip to Kenya. Uh, in this trip to Kenya, we'd be doing a bit of community work. We'd see some sites and we'd go to climb Mount Kenya. Now, I was pretty pumped. All my mates were going and we were just psyched. We were getting ready. We got on the plane. We're taking pictures. We're taking selfies. We get over there. The plane lands and we see giraffes on the side of the road. We're like, this is awesome. But then I remember when the car drove us and dropped us off to the foot of Mount Kenya. I remember looking up at this huge thing, the second highest mountain in Africa, um, thinking to myself, have I made a big mistake? I surely should have prepared a little bit more for this. Um, The first few days into the hike, your, your legs start aching more and more. Breathing starts becoming harder. Altitude kind of sinks in a little bit more. And each step just becomes harder. And I just remember, as I'm climbing Mount Kenya, I just remember thinking, why have I come here? What am I doing? There are some people here tonight who you've put your trust in Jesus. You've said, yeah, I I trust you, Jesus. I call myself a Christian. And maybe you can remember when you first did that and there was so much hype, there was so much anticipation. But I just wonder whether you're sitting here tonight just thinking, I just feel like this is so hard. I just feel like throwing in the towel. Is this really worth it? Because I think that's the big question that Jesus looks at in this section. As Greg said, we're looking at John 14 to 17, Jesus' last pep talk to his disciples before he heads to the cross. And he tells them, guys, yes, I'm going away, but I will send you my spirit in the midst of suffering. And you can see his disciples at the start of the, the passage that Matt read out for us, they're still kind of confused. They don't really know what's happening. They're, they're kind of fumbling around trying to piece things together in their minds. They say, so you won't be with us and then you will be with us. What's going on? And then Jesus speaks again with words of even greater clarity and says this in verse 20. I assure you, you will weep and wail but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful. 
Jesus speaks with a lot of certainty here. He says, I assure you, you will weep, you will wail, you will become sorrowful. All the while, the world will rejoice. I remember yesterday, I was going for a jog down Pit Town Bottoms. It's my, my kind of, my standard. And I'm jogging, I'm struggling. And then as I'm jogging, this Ferrari pulls up beside me. It just came hooning down the road. And then it pulls up, slows down. And I see the driver who's driving it look over, give me a cheeky smile, and then just keep on driving off. And I'm like, oh, come on. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And I think some of you tonight might be feeling like that. You're climbing a mountain. You're running this race. All the while, people are just rocking up beside you in their Ferraris saying, hey, look at all the stuff I get to enjoy, the pleasures of this world. And you might be thinking, come on. But Jesus says, you will weep while the world rejoices. And for some of you, you might be thinking, yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I'm someone that I go to a party, but when Jesus is brought up in a conversation, I just get a stunned look. They politely sort of stop talking to me and I'm sort of outed. I'm outed while they're having fun. Well, maybe you're here tonight and you just think, I've been giving, I've been serving, I've been doing so much with my time, with my money, with my energy. All the while, some of my family members think i am lost the plot. Or all the while, I've got friends who don't follow Jesus. They've got more money than me. They've got a family. They've got things set up and they're traveling around Europe or something like that. It might not be that for you. Perhaps it could be that you're actually experiencing severe suffering. Maybe a mental illness. And you just feel like you just swallowed up in this shadow that doesn't budge or maybe a physical illness that's rocked your life the loss of a loved one and and you're sitting here and you're thinking what's the deal I'm on Jesus's team aren't I why is this happening what's going on is this what I've signed up for maybe you're sitting here tonight thinking that Well, let me assure you tonight, your suffering doesn't come as a shock to Jesus, as Greg says. No, he he preps us. He knows it's coming, but he goes on and he answers the question I asked at the start. He tells us why it is so worth it sticking with him. He tells us why we don't miss out with Jesus. Let me keep reading from verse 20, and he says this, But... Your sorrow will turn to joy. To his confused disciples, 
and to his future weary ones and some of you sitting here tonight. Jesus makes an audacious declaration to you tonight. He speaks this promise and he says, in me you will have joy, joy now and joy forever. You might be sitting here tonight just thinking, I'm in the bleakest, darkest night and yet Jesus says from this passage, the dawn is coming. A day is coming when your sorrow will turn and it will turn to an inexpressible and a glorious joy. A joy that nobody can take away from you. And the illustration that he uses to illustrate this point is that of a woman in labour. Now this is something I've got a little bit of experience with and I say a little because really I did nothing. (laughs) I did absolutely nothing. As a husband, you just feel helpless. I'm just sitting there watching Helen in absolute agony, can't can't do anything and all my best efforts are probably just a hindrance anyway but I'm there But after the labour was over, I just remember when Helen was taken to the bed and she held Ruby for the first time. It was like the pain was forgotten because she saw her. And that's what Jesus says here in in verse 21. He says, when a woman is in labour, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been brought in, has been born into the world. So also, so you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will rob you of your joy. And that's what Jesus says, in this life you will have pain, you will have grief. But the sorrow will be forgotten when you see the face of your Saviour Jesus in glory. On that day, everything else will drop and pale in comparison. On that day, Your hearts will rejoice and you will experience a joy that is beyond imagination. And Jesus says here, in that day, you will not ask me anything. This whole section, Jesus has been talking a lot about prayer. He's repeated it over and over and over and over again. Ask me anything and I'll do it. And yet here he says, in that day you will not ask me anything. In other words, Jesus says, you won't need to, nothing will need to be added. It will be perfect. I want you to try to think of the the best, happiest moment of your life. Maybe it was the words, I love you. Maybe it was your wedding day, the cries of a baby. Maybe it was a really special moment with a friend or a family member or an experience, or an accomplishment. I want you to think of that moment, times it by a billion, trillion, and it's not even coming close to what's in store. 
It's remarkable. It's crazy. Are you feeling overwhelmed? Are you feeling stressed? Hear this promise. Jesus promises real, true, lasting joy in Jesus. You don't miss out. You do not miss out with him. But he goes on. And his disciples, they're pretty funny in this whole section. You can just kind of see them just going, oh, what is going on? And here in verse 29, the disciples go, ah. They finally figured it out. And so they go, ah, his disciples said, now you're speaking plainly and not using any figurative language. Okay. Now we know that you know everything and don't need anyone to question you. By this, we believe that you came from God. And Jesus responded to them again. Do you now believe? Look, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I'm not alone because the Father is with me. Jesus is saying, disciples, you think you get it. You don't quite yet. I'm heading to the cross. You will desert me. You will scatter. You will flee. But then he goes on and he tells his disciples and he tells us what he wants us to do in the mess. He says, life is messy. Yes, we have the hope of heaven. That is so good. But he tells his disciples, when you're in the mess, while you're waiting for heaven, this is what I want you to do. Let me read it. Verse 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in this world. But be courageous. Or the NIV says, take heart. I've conquered the world. Um. I've often mentioned the Narnia series and that's just because my dad used to read them to me all the time but one of the books uh, was called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader and that's when uh, it's Lucy, Edmund and their cousin Eustace, they're sucked into this picture frame and they go back into Narnia and they, they land on this ship called the Dawn Treader and they end up having to do this massive quest on this ship. And it's near the end of the book where things are looking interesting, things are looking dicey, they're getting tossed, they're getting torn, they're feeling despondent. And let me pick up where C.S. Lewis writes this. Drinian's hand shook on the tiller and a line of cold sweat ran down his face. The same idea was occurring to everyone on board. We shall never get out, never get out moaned the rowers. He's steering us wrong. We're going round and round in circles. We shall never get out. Things aren't looking good as they're on this boat in this huge storm. The ship's about to sink. And then Lucy hears the voice of Aslan, the lion, the king, who says to her, Courage, dear heart. I want to tell you tonight that 
our King speaks to you tonight. He speaks to you, perhaps even in the middle of a storm, a climb, a run, and he says, courage, dear heart. He says to you, today is not the day you're throwing in the towel. Today is not the day where all hope is lost. Take heart, brother. Take heart, sister. Stand firm. Why? Because you have this joy in front of you. Stand firm. And why does he say this so confidently? Because he, our king, our champion, declares this. I have conquered the world. See, Jesus came. He came to live among us, among people. And then he came and he died and he took the punishment all of us deserved for our sin. He took it all on himself and he died a horrific death. And then three days later, he did the seemingly impossible. He beat the seemingly unbeatable. He beat death. He overcame the world. And so that means if you put your trust in him, if you put your lot with Jesus, you too will overcome. You too will rise. You you too will have a place in the Father's house in heaven. That's why he confidently says, if you're in Jesus, you have reason to take heart because he's overcome the world. But you might be here tonight and thinking, that's all well and good to say. But they're just words. What does that practically look like to, to take heart when things are really messy? When things are really tough? I want to give you three things and they're on your sermon outlines for you to think on. The first is I want to urge you to stand on his promises. See, this this section and this wall of scripture really is littered and full of promises of God. That in Jesus we're promised joy, forgiveness, peace, heaven. Gather these promises together. Gather them. Write them down. Stand on them. Remind yourselves of them. Because they're stronger than any refuge. They're sweeter than the finest honey. Stand on his promises. Secondly, pray. This is, as I said, this has been one of the most repeated things in this section, is prayer. And in the middle of the storm, know that you have access to your heavenly Father. When I wanted to propose to Helen, or when I wanted to even just chat about tennis, or when I wanted to chat to someone when I was in heartache over a relationship, I knew that I had my dad's ear. I knew that he would listen because he loves me. And if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, know that you have your heavenly father's ear. You've got his attention. He cares for you. He loves you. And he says, in the midst of the storm, pray to me. Speak to me. Your direct access because of Jesus. And the, the third thing 
is that how do we take heart? We walk together. See, when Jesus is giving this last speech, he's not just talking to one guy. He's talking to a group, a group of guys who would later go out and preach together, suffer together, get thrown in prison together, pray together, do life together. In Hebrews it says, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us spur on one another all the more as we see the day approaching. How do we take heart? I think it means actually just coming alongside one another. Did you know that you actually being here on a Sunday night, even when it's hard and even when you're hurting, is actually serving your brothers and sisters here to continue to stand firm and to continue to take heart? Let's walk together. In the climb, in the high seas, you have reason, really good reason, to take heart. And that reason is Jesus. And I'm so glad Ruby agrees. Thank you, Ruby. That's good. But let me just, yes. But let me just leave you uh, with one story of a woman who, who I think got this. Uh, this woman's name was Frances or Fanny Crosby. She was born on the 24th of March, 1820. And it's believed that when Frances, when she was a little infant, there was a dodgy fake doctor that did some very bad things and caused her to become blind. And she ended up being blind her whole life. And back then, if you were blind, you were marginalised, you were looked down on, you didn't have the same opportunities as other people did. I just want you to try to put yourself in her shoes. Surely if you're her, there'd be a little bit of bitterness there. There'd be a little bit of envy of others, surely. There'd be a bit of rage or going, man, this is not fair. But she became a Christian. She trusted in Jesus. And at the age of 10, she is recorded saying this, Oh, what a happy soul I am. Although I cannot see, I am resolved that in this world contented I will be. How many blessings I enjoy that other people don't. And apparently at another point in her life, she's recorded saying that she feels that she is one of the happiest creatures in the land. And I just think, what? How does that happen? How does that work? Well, she knew Jesus. She penned, she wrote up to 10,000 hymns, some of them very famous, To God Be the Glory, and another one, Turn Your Eyes Onto Jesus. Imagine using that language. She didn't downplay suffering. She she knew it. It was real. It was hard. But she took Jesus at his word. She had real joy. And she knew where she was going. And she said this about her, her certain and future joy. She said, When I get to heaven, the first face that shall ever gladden my sight 
will be that of my Saviour. She knew this joy. Jesus said in Scripture, you will have suffering in this world, but be courageous. Take heart. I have conquered the world. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we just come before you now and we just thank you so much for Jesus. I pray for those sitting here tonight who do love and follow him. I pray that you would just be providing refreshment and comfort to weary souls tonight. They would see they have reason to take heart, to continue to stand, to keep going. But Father, I also just pray for those who perhaps don't know Jesus and perhaps are a little intrigued about this joy that someone can have even when circumstances are no good. And I pray for those people that they might actually seek someone out and ask, ask them more what it means to trust in Jesus and follow him and what this joy means to them. I pray that they'd do that. And I ask all these things in Christ's name.